Hello everyone and welcome to the latest anime independent podcast. It's been a little while and <laughs> we'll start calling it the sporadic anime independent podcast. But yes, I'm back and my word, there's been an awful lot going on, hasn't there? Let's start with a little bit of the news. Uh, let's just go to, uh, here we go, one Yuri on Ice. This is coming out, complete series, it gets a release date and it will be coming out on September the 24th. A lot of people been waiting for this one. It was leaked a little early, and we finally got the official announcement. Uh, this will be uh, coming out on Blu-ray. We've got a bunch of excellent extras coming out on the disc. We've got Yuri uh, Plietsky, GPF in Barcelona EX. I'm assuming that's an ice skating thing. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, we've got Welcome to the Madness OVA, 11th Skate Commentary, Texas opening and closing songs, and some trailers. This is a great-looking series, gorgeous designs, and it's by uh, the same people that did uh, Kids on the Slope, the studio animation mapper. It's directed by Sayo Yamamoto, who did Michiko and Hatchin, which is a brilliant-looking series. And uh, it's got some choreography by a professional figure skater, Kenji Miyamoto. So lots of pedigree, lots of excitement. This one looks like it's going to be a good one. And something I tweeted a little while ago, this got a lot of reaction on Twitter. I don't know if it's one of these uh, items in particular, but Seven Seas have some new light novels up for pre-order, and they include Division Maneuver, a fantastical two-volume light novel series that blends combat and reincarnation drama. Reincarnation again, we're getting a lot of that, aren't we? Uh, Classroom of the Elite, the cutthroat school drama light novels that inspired an anime, and Mushoku Tensai, Jobless Reincarnation. Yet more reincarnation, but this one being more of a fantastical bent. Uh, there's a really huge market for this stuff at the moment, it would seem, and Seven Seas have got it pretty much stitched up. On top of that, we have had a couple of rather big Crunchyroll announcements. Now, these do bear a little bit more uh, in-depth analysis. First of all, on the 24th of August, we reported, I reported, that uh, High Guardian Spice was going to be coming out as the first project from the brand new Elation Studios, uh, which is a company that owns Crunchyroll. Now, this caused a lot of consternation. So when I wrote this new story up, I did a little bit more digging. So I didn't just put the face value on it. I actually had a look to see who was involved. And you have people like Margaret Dean, who is the president for Women in Animation and has worked on Robot Chicken for Adult Swim and Buddy Thunderstruck, which I haven't seen for Netflix. And... We're going to go into a little bit of detail on this because uh, this did not go down well at all with quite a lot of people. First of all, it's a company that purports to support animation in Japan and the animation industry. Now, its first big project is to set up a Western animation studio and create their own kind of Steven Universe looking series, which really, you've got Little Witch Academia for this kind of thing. The second thing that really annoyed people was the fact that the trailer was so much about the studio and less about the actual series that the only thing you find out about the show is that there are four girls learning to be guardians we don't know what they're guardians of or where or why but they're going to be guardians and and that's it and everything else was just a very general oh it's going to be more exciting it's going to be uh, have more heart than other series and things like that didn't really convey much other than a load of superlatives which went nowhere because the focus of this video was overwhelmingly on the makeup of the studio, which is 100% woman's writing room and 
50% of the company being female. And <laughs> comically, at the same time, the voiceover is telling us how diverse they are and how inclusive they are. I'm afraid when everyone's a woman, you're not really being that inclusive. And honestly, I don't know what it has to do with the final product. But I think the really controversial part of this entire video was when they introduced one of the writers. Now, I'm sort of writing a piece that's more in-depth on this at the moment for the website because I think it plays into a little bit of uh, certainly my personal experience with how fandom is moving and also now how the industry is starting to change and possibly going down the same route that uh, Marvel and certain comics companies have gone down because Kate Leth is involved in this particular studio. She is a Canadian writer. She has written for Marvel's uh, Hellcat series, and that lasted 17 issues before it was cancelled due to low sales, about 8,000 copies sold on its final issue, and has a history, unfortunately, of tweeting things out uh, and advocating for slogans like Kill All Men and various other just hateful anti-men sentiments and this is somebody who's in their writer's room so I don't imagine we're going to be seeing a lot of male characters in this series I think one of the designs showed a male centaur type a big fat guy with a with a tash but I don't think we're seeing a lot of male protagonists somehow and a lot of people have picked up on this particular hire because I think when you hire someone like this you are really making a statement about the values your company has. And I think if you're hiring somebody who purports to hate 50% of your audience, you are not being particularly inclusive. Now, there's been some really choice, <laughs> let's just say, comments made about this on uh, YouTube, on Twitter, on Crunchyroll's own forum, to the extent that the day after this news came out, Crunchyroll then had to put out yet another statement. But before we get to that... The thing that got me, really, was I would have thought maybe Crunchyroll are ignorant of what's going on, maybe Crunchyroll don't realise that there is this backlash against this kind of virtue signalling propaganda that we seem to be getting left, right and centre these days, apart from the fact that they disabled comments and they disabled the upvotes and the downvotes, which makes it really obvious that they knew damn well what they were doing and they went ahead and did it anyway. So you really have to question what on earth Crunchyroll is thinking. So this was then followed up the next day by an announcement about two things. <laughs> and it's so blatant, it's untrue. So the first statement was about the passionate and honest feedback that Crunchyroll had received from fans. I think what they'd actually received was an awful lot of subscription cancellations based on this news, and they had to act to counter it. So they put out a very well-written, though not particularly specific, statement saying how they continue to support the Japanese animation industry, put over $100 million a year back into Japan, and how this one particular studio is just one aspect of the way that they're going to be investing their money going forward. And buried, well not buried, but sort of thrown into this statement was the fact that they're updating their player software. So going from the old, very old, Flash system to HTML5, something people have been advocating for the platform for years. I mean, ever since Steve Jobs fell out with Adobe and uh, Flash doesn't work on any Apple mobile device, most people updated their systems. I know I did. I work in the uh, in the tech industry. We had to do mass changes based on this, and Crunchyroll simply didn't bother. Partly because it has to be said they've got a pretty decent app uh, that covers mobile devices by Apple and, and others. But still, it's 
a terrible player that they have at the moment. It is buggy beyond hell. It takes ages to track. So for people like me that try and take screenshots to go with our reviews and our news, it's a nightmare because you never really get the chance to preview what you're seeing. You just randomly jab a point in the timeline, wait five minutes, and you see where you end up in the episode. So it's really not ideal. And HTML5 will fix a lot of that. One of the other complaints is you can't set a video back to zero. <laughs> you can only get somewhere a bit close to that, so you never get right to the beginning of an episode. And again, lots of complaints on YouTube about this. And it's curious, somebody after this uh, initial announcement, before this follow-up, had posted a video on YouTube saying, you know, Crunchyroll, just stop. You know, don't like the studio announcement, don't like the HTML player, sorry, the, the Flash player. And... A lot of people now crediting this change to that. Now, you can't change this sort of thing overnight. There is, as it happens, a uh, Chrome application that forces a change from uh, Flash to HTML. So this has been in the works for quite some time, and it's, it's compatible with it. They're just making that change now. But it's curious, isn't it, how they've put this sort of shiny thing in with trying to cover up some bad news. It is very clear, very clear, that the community at large are not welcoming this announcement of this studio and so I felt it was a good time to put together a piece on what really happened at the anime network some of the stuff that happened behind the scenes that people just aren't aware of I'm not going to be naming any names because I'm not going into the whole doxing thing some of you may know who these people are but there's a lot that went on there that a lot of you aren't privy to and I'm going to just lift the lid a little bit on there just to see what myself and Seb who's been marvelous throughout all this has really had to deal with and there is a very nasty undercurrent in certain elements of the fandom, and this is playing right into it. Now, curiously, a lot of other fandoms, you know, your Star Trek, Star Wars fandoms, things like that, are saying, oh, there's no way the anime crowd are going to take to this virtue signaling stuff. I'm afraid they're bang wrong, because these people have been here for a long time, and while I have no problem with anybody, regardless of political persuasion or... Uh, faith or sexual orientation or you know race religion whatever it's fine but what we don't need are these people who are selective about who's included in the fandom and I'm afraid they are already here and this video showing Cat Leth is very very much on point showing that these people are in the industry now and looking to shape it it's been quite heartening to be honest to see the level of reaction from certain quarters of the anime fandom where they've just said, look, we're not up for this. We you know, we like Japanese culture. We want to watch it unedited, unabridged. We don't want to see Funimation changing the dubs to reflect their politics. We just want a proper translation of this product on our screens, and that's what we're paying you for, Crunchyroll, and we're going to vote with our wallets. And that seems to be what's happening. So very, very busy week, and a lot of very interesting politics going on. I, for one, I'm just going to put my head down, watch some anime, <laughs> and hope it all blows over. I've kind of got a feeling it's not going to. So that's what's been happening in the news up until now. It has been an interesting one. Uh, let's get on to something happy and anime-related. So what have I been watching prior to this podcast? Well, let's go into the three series that I have spent a bit of time with. Uh, there are two First Thoughts articles on AI, and a Black Clover review. But let's go into Phantom in the Twilight. Now, this was a really interesting one for me, because it's set in London. And having recently watched Banana Fish, which is set in New York, and that is a series that really gets the feel and the... You can always feel the sort of the, 
the stickiness and the graffiti and the sort of grime of the back streets in that series. They've really captured the feel of like the underbelly of New York, and I really like the series for that. So Phantom in the Twilight is set in London, and it's a really idealised London. It's not a bad show, and London's not depicted in a way that I would recognise as being London. They do reference certain landmarks, they meet in certain parks. Uh, it's a Japanese-Chinese co-production, so this is very much an outsider's view of London, from what I can see. But it doesn't capture the feel of the place in the way that Banana Fish did. What it does do is it puts together an interesting cast of young men that work at a cafe. They're all supernatural in some uh, way, shape, or form. So you've got a chap called Luke, who's a cat guy. Uh, you've got Vlad, who's some sort of vampire with mind-wiping powers. And another character who's Chinese called Toyu, uh, and he's a man with a minigun up his sleeve. <laughs> I wish I'd had one of those in several of my meetings last week. But <laughs> this is a really oh, mediocre series is what I'd probably call it. It's been compared to Tokyo Ghoul, and I think because Tokyo Ghoul does it so well, this suffers in comparison. The two leads are likeable and not too shrieky, and the first episode has plenty in it to recommend it. It's got action, it's got intrigue, it's got magic... Whether or not it's going to get any better, I really don't know. But I think it's okay for now. I'm not thinking it's going to set my world on fire, but uh, average enough to be okay. So let's move on to the next one. Now, this is really an anime of two halves, and they're very distinct halves. This is Muyo and Roji's Bureau of Supernatural Investigation. So let's get into this one. So Muyo and Roji run this supernatural investigation bureau they solve the supernatural problems of the city and it is a short stewie griffin looking like chap and a taller chap big shocker blonde hair called roji now the supernatural element to this show i have to say is amazing i love the designs it looks very ghibli in its execution and the style and the movement and some of the ideas that are in it they're all really good, really creepy, and the emotional core of the story is really good as well because there's no sort of heroes and villains in this. It's just unfortunate souls, and I really liked it for that. The design elements, and we're only talking about the first episode, so mild spoilers. The gateway to hell is a face that appears on the ground, and the mouth is the gateway, and I think that's a really interesting visual. The phantoms are beautifully designed and very creepy and oh, just, just yeah, really worth looking at. There's a gallery on the review which you really ought to have a look at so you can get a real sense of the style. The problem with this particular series are the two leads because Muyo is an annoying, sarcastic little sod with very little charm. And that may change as the series progresses. I can handle, you know, somber. But Roji is just such a screaming pain in the ass. He's so... Oh, immature and shrieky and shrill and just nails down a chalkboard to me when I'm watching this. I just think if you could calm the two leads down, then you'd have a really good show. But I think what you've got at the moment is a show with fantastic design elements and a terrible pair of leads. So I'm not massively impressed with this particular show for that. But if they can calm those leads down, this one could really be a winner. So Muyo and Roji's Bureau of Supernatural Investigation... My thoughts are up on the website. You can go and have a look and see what you think for yourself. I'm giving it a slightly above average recommendation with possibilities for being really quite good. So let's move on to the next review. 
This is a proper review. We don't do many of these because I'm trying not to just replicate what I used to do at UKA, but occasionally I get sent things to review, which is nice, and the latest of those is Black Clover. This is a series coming out from Sony. They are oh, really pushing the shonen angle with their latest releases. Now, Sony released My Hero Academia, which is so similar to Black Clover in terms of the plot and the characters that they could almost be parallel universes of each other. So Black Clover is a mythical fantasy universe uh, built on magic. And everybody in the land has some affinity to magic in the same way that everybody in My Hero Academia has some kind of quirk or power that they can use to become superheroes. And it's very unusual not to have one. As it happens, the heroes of both shows, Black Clover and My Hero Academia, are born without this ability, which makes them unusual. So you've got very similar protagonists. Uh, both of them have a strong burning sense of justice and both of them receive powers they shouldn't otherwise have. So in Black Clover, which is a very weirdly paced show, and I'm going to get to that, our main character is Asta, who's a loud-mouthed, over-eager brat, very Naruto-like, and he wants to be the next Takage. I mean, uh, Wizard King, that, that one. So he wants, to, he wants to be the next big thing, and he's determined to do it. And in order to do this, he trains like hell and asks a nun to marry him every day because that's somehow endearing. Uh, but ignoring that, he is just a happy-go-lucky, energetic young man who is muscled up to the eyeballs. Not quite... Well, actually, no, really, berserk style. So when Guts is in his teenage years, very sort of similar thing here. Because he's he can't rely on magic, he has to build his body up to be strong, and that's what he's done in this series. So that really makes him stand out, I guess, amongst other people in this world because they're also reliant on magic but this guy has trained his body up to be pretty strong and at the time it comes to his 15th birthday he goes with his brother we assume because Yuna who is a handsome stoic gifted magician was found as a baby alongside Aster and both taken to an orphanage so we don't know their origins I'm sure that'll come into play later but they act as brothers pretty much uh he goes to this grimoire celebration thing where they get given magical books which reflect their magical powers. Yuna, being especially gifted, receives a four-leaf clover grimoire, which is seen to be exceptional. The fourth leaf is uh, basically denotes luck. And so not only is he gifted and courageous, but he's also lucky. And Aster gets bupkis because nothing comes down from the sky and he has to leave humiliated and embarrassed but Yuna's good fortune has caught the eye of an ex-magical knight who decides to mug him. And he's getting the upper hand on Yuna until Asta barrels in and then fails to kick this guy's ass right up until he sort of summons all his courage, all his power, and suddenly a rather mysterious and evil-looking grimoire just floats down and this has five leaves on it. And the fifth leaf denotes the devil. And that immediately caught my interest, because that's interesting. So I thought, okay, great. So this guy has got access to powers that are potentially from hell. Yeah, okay, you've got my attention now, series. let's go. So he pulls out this giant broadsword, again, very berserk-like, from this book, and goes to town on this <laughs> magic knight guy, defeats him, and is seen by everybody to be, wow, so something exceptional. So the two of them decide that they're going to become magical knights. They're going to go visit the city of the Wizard King. And the first step to becoming the Wizard King is to become a magical knight. And that's what they're going to do. So 
Yuna and Asta make their way there, and that's when they meet the magical guilds. Now, the Noble Guild is the Guild of the Golden Dawn, and that's like the top house. That's your... I don't know what top one is in Harry Potter. I don't watch it, but whoever the... Gryffindor. Gryffindor, effectively, is the Golden Dawn, and that's where you want to be picked. And then you've got another one that's like Slytherin, which has got lots of ugly people in it. And then you have the rough-and-tumble Black Bulls, and you can already see where each of these boys is going to end up. So, <laughs> uh... Obviously, Yuna gets picked for the Golden Dawn. All the houses put their hands up and say they want him after the trials, but he's he's decided he's going to go for the most noble noble of the houses. He goes into Golden Dawn, and initially Asta, yet again, is not picked, but his passion impresses the leader of the Black Bulls, and subsequently they end up picking him, and he goes in with all the misfits and the drunks and the lushes. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty... I don't know, traditional setup, I suppose. I mean, it's not so different from a lot of other Shonen series. As we've already said, it's very similar to one that's just been released by the same company. But it does have a lot going for it uh, in terms of the designs are really cool. The animation's not bad. The direction's really good. There's a lot of fast cuts and things during the action scenes, which livens things up. You've got some interesting characters sitting around there. I really like a lot of the cast of the Black Bulls. We haven't seen much of the Golden Dawn yet, but I imagine there's going to be a lot of political machinations going on there. And again, if we could get something berserk-like uh, going on with uh, betrayal and you know subterfuge, that would be marvellous. But I've got a feeling it's probably going to stay more in the Team Shonen style. So that's all really good. The only downfall for this series, in my opinion, is the fact that it's got some really dodgy pacing. So it feels like it takes forever to get anywhere, and yet it gets to the its end game really quickly. And one of the examples of that is an episode where they leave their village, Muna and Asta, to go to the city. And the voiceover, which is very 80s, very Willy Fog, uh, very Dogtanian, says, and now the two brothers leave on the long, long journey to reach the city. And you think, oh, right, so we're going to have an arc where they go through a long journey to get to the city. We're going to meet characters that will probably pop up in the city later. And they're going to go through trials and tribulations, maybe get separated and experience magic and have to learn to fight so that by the time they get to the city, they've already sort of combat ready. Nope. Done in an episode. And they're there within 20 minutes. And you just think, what the hell? What was that voiceover all about? You might, as If they hadn't done that, you wouldn't be expecting it to take ages but because they did, it kind of subverts your expectations and then it just gets subverted again by going, oh, nope, they're there already, that's it. Same thing with the trials. I thought the trials could be like a season-long arc with this. I thought, okay, we're going to get all these different battles, going to have to really fight to prove that they you know, should be accepted into these guilds and it's going to be really hard fought and there's going to be lots of characters introduced that they have to defeat. And at the end of it, once they're all finished fighting each other, you'll start to see which houses or which magical knight guild they go into and you'll care about them all nope done in two two episodes <laughs> so by the end of uh, episode five they're assigned to a to a magical knight's guild and yet it does feel like it takes ages to get there so the first two episodes we have all these flashbacks to when Aster and Yuna were kids and that kind of takes up the first two episodes you're thinking god this is taking a long time to get anywhere interesting and then they get the third episode it's super fast forwards um, to get them to where they need to be, and then you've got the trials, which last two episodes, and then they're in. That's it. So in five episodes, bang, done, we've got our boys where they need to be. So really, really <laughs> bizarre pacing-wise. So all I can say is that I enjoyed my time with Black Clover. I would say My Hero Academia really does it better, and that 
is no bad thing because you've got your pick uh, of the of the series you want to watch. I think you'll enjoy Black Clover, but I think you'll see a lot of similarities if you've already seen My Hero Academia. And I felt more emotionally attached to MHA than I do to Black Clover as it stands. I care more about the characters by episode 5, probably by episode 2, to be honest, of My Hero Academia than I currently do to the characters in Black Clover. Looks nice, good designs, plenty of potential. Could be great, but initially out the door, oh my word, it's it's all over the place. Uh, but it's scrappy, and I kind of like that. So if you like that kind of series... Go for it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's nice to see it. <sighs> so that's the anime down. Good God. We've, we've actually gone on quite a long time. Normally we, we put these to 30 minutes. I may go a bit over this week, I'm afraid, folks, because I also have to talk about where I was last weekend. And that story is robotic in nature because it was TF Nation 2018, one of my favourite weekends of the year. I love this convention. I haven't been to anime conventions in a long time, about 12 years, but about five years ago I thought, sod it, I'm going to go to my very first Transformers convention, see what it's like, and it was fantastic. And the thing that I really love about TF Nation and the Transformers community in general is how open it is to everybody. So we went to the Stan Bush concert, which was on the Saturday night, which was really fantastic. And I say we, I was there with the uh, ever-present Sophie Wales, who's a good friend of mine and a friend of uh, James Taylor, who's helped me out with all the coding on UKA and other projects. Um, but she's basically my little robot protege. And we, <laughs> I introduced her to More Than Meets the Eye, which is written by James Roberts. And it's a really, really great Transformers series, if you haven't read it. Really well plotted, very Red Dwarf style humor, uh, a bit Douglas Adams as well. So lots of influences there, but really well thought out. And so she fell in love with the series through, uh, or the Transformers through that series. And so ever since, she's come with me to TF Nation to see the Robots and to see all of the shows and all of the, the uh, things that they put on panels. And it's been really good. So this year, how did it stack up to previous years? Well, first of all, they headlined it, Stan Bush Live in Concert. Stan Bush, for those that don't know, wrote two of the best tracks on the Transformers the Movie 1986 uh, soundtrack with Dare and The Touch. And we got to see those get performed live, actually a couple of times, because he did two encores after people were chanting for him to come on. And after the concert, I went to the bar, and there was a guy there, and he had these two young lads with him, about sort of six and seven years old and I was sort of talking to them and I asked the guys how they found the concert and they absolutely loved it and then we started talking about the robots and the dealer's room and the kids eyes just lit up and there's oh so many robots and they they opened the doors and you, you came in and there's so much there and it's, oh it's amazing and it was just like oh god this just reminds me of what I would have been like if I'd have been their age because I was a huge Transformers fan when I was a kid I mean I lived in a very remote area so I had my toys and really not a lot else when I was growing up uh, outside of school so they're always very very important to me but to see these kids and the way they reacted to all the stuff going on around them I just wish as a kid there had been this kind of thing going on that I could have gone to uh, and enjoyed because they've clearly clearly having the time of their lives and the dad was beaming and it was really nice to see that sort of family dynamic and to be able to see a dad enjoy the toys of his youth with his sons oh heartwarming brilliant so really loved that if you want to see what Stan Bush is like live I managed to capture one of his encore performances uh, it's not a bad video to say it was captured on the phone to be honest I mean Samsung S8 nice job and uh, I've put that video up on Anime Independent, so you can go and have a look at it. And you can experience, as I did, a little bit of the uh, rocking 
soundtrack from Transformers movie that we all experienced. And if you get the chance, small plug for Stan, uh, he's got a new album out called Change the World, which features Dare and the Touch, a couple of other classics and some new songs. It's really cool. He signed my copy. He also signed my Transformers the movie limited edition black vinyl release. And, uh, oh, it looks great. So that's now on the shelf in my office. I love that. And so that was the concert side of it. There was a fantastic dealer's room, which for the first time in my life, I felt completely sort of uh, deer in headlights moment. I ended up buying two robots and I bought them at the end of Saturday. I didn't buy anything in the morning, which is totally unlike me. I did see a few bargains, which I nearly picked up, but I hesitated and then they went. And I also really wanted a Predator King, but he went as well. So it was uh, a bit of a disaster robots-wise. I ended up with a an Omni, which is a third-party Cosmos figure, which is now my masterpiece cabinet. And I picked him up because he weighs a ton. And he was like 30 quid off, which I think is pretty good for well, any Transformer, really. So I picked him up. And the other one I picked up, even though I've got my pre-order from America is the Repugnus from Titan's Return. And he's a great figure, and I have a special affinity for this particular toy because when I went to America at uh, the tender age of 10, I picked up some Transformers uh, when we were in Orlando, and the only one that didn't end up getting released over here was the G1 Repugnus. And I still have that toy, and the little sod can still fire sparks out of his mouth like a, like a bad man. It's a really cool toy, and to get the update of it in a sort of modern, posable format is really cool. And... Honestly, I just bought it to fiddle with because I was kind of running out of options at that point. So I'll have a spare one. Maybe it'll be a competition prize down the line. I think we'll be introducing some competitions to Anime Independent, specifically because I'm now moving in with my fiance and we just don't have enough room for all this stuff. So I've got some really cool Tenshi cells, uh, posters, and all sorts of really rare little treasures that I've collected over the last 24 years. And I think some of those are going to end up on the site as competition prizes. So keep an eye out for that. But going back to the, the actual TF Nation itself, uh, there were some great panels. Uh, Nick Roche was on form, as he always is. He's really entertaining when he's on, uh, the, on the stage. And he's an Irish chap. He wrote the Wreckers series. Now, the Wreckers were a commando group created by Simon Furman back in the 80s of Transformers. And he has modernized them and created his Wreckers series. So it's in three parts, really. So you start off with Last Stand of the Wreckers, which is a red shirt story about characters that just get killed off in stupid, pointless ways, as he put it. And then you had the Sins of the Wreckers, which tells the backstory to a lot of the formation of the group and uh, some very dubious backstories some of the commando type characters in the series and then you had requiem of the wreckers which has just come out which ties up the whole thing very neatly and taken as a body of work it's a really good series so i highly recommend if you're looking for standalone transformers stories last stand of the wreckers got so many people into transformers over the last few years i can't tell you but as a lot as a accompaniment to something like more than meets the eye uh, and Lost Light as series, it's a really good read, so I highly recommend that one. But Nick Roche is also a phenomenal artist. He drew a commission for me this year, which is his, uh, Skids and Nautica from the More Than Meets the Eye series. Uh, I don't want to go into spoilers, but uh, they're romantically involved, so I got him to draw me something romantic because I'm a big softie. And he also worked on my favourite Spider-Man comic, which is Renew Your Vows, where Spidey is married to Mary Jane, and they have a daughter called Annie Mae, and they are essentially a family of spider crime fighters. It is gloriously fun and sort of sarcastic. And it's really where they should have taken the mainline Spider-Man, in my opinion. 
I, I love the character of, of Annie. She's such a cool and sort of quirky character because when you grow up and your parents are, are superheroes and as a kid you get taken out and she had this really cute little sort of uh, bike helmet on with sp- co- spider webs put on it and they used to take them <laughs> probably the worst parenting ever they used to take their sort of six seven year old daughter out crime fighting with them but it was really endearing and, and played for fun and I haven't seen a Peter Parker this good in such a long time. It really brings out the best elements of his character. And Nick Roche worked on a couple of comics from the series. And so I had him draw a really gorgeous anime commission for me. And that, if you want to see it, if you go down to the bottom of Anime Independent, you'll see a little link called About the Author. And if you click on that, you will see that anime is hanging from beam, taking a selfie really gorgeous i've cleaned it up a bit so it works really nicely on the web uh, i've also tweeted these out and they even got colored uh, on twitter a, a, a twitter fan of nick roche and who is a colorist in their own right came on board and fe- got hold of my um my commissions and then decided to do some colors and this person's name is liam shalou and they do commissions themselves they are at liam Shalu, which is S-H-A-L-L-O-O, phenomenal person, go and have a look, they did a great job with my commissions, and yeah, absolutely loving it. <sighs> so that was what I picked up, oh, and Kaizama, the Japanese artist that's worked on the Optimus Prime series, had drawn this really nice Pat Labour head sketch, which she was selling for a mere £25, so I picked that up as well, so I've got three pieces of original art from the show, uh, two robots, and some signed stuff by Stan Bush. What more can you ask for? I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a great show. And I highly recommend, if you have any interest in Transformers, you should go and just enjoy it. Now, I just want to do a quick shout-out to some of the people I met at TF Nation. So we had um, Andrew B., you'll know who you are, who has offered to do some video work for us in the past. Uh, met up with him and talked with him for about an hour. chap called Ken, who made it from Ireland despite Ryanair's best efforts. Lovely guy. And... Also met another chap called Andrew who makes little figures. He made a little Thew. So if anybody follows Thew uh, and his awesome Transformer reviews, there's an episode where he gets sent an action figure of himself and I met the guy that made it and uh, and he goes to MCM Expo. I'm going to look him up and find him at some point, but he does the best scary clown costumes you've ever seen. So shout out to Andrew uh, who... I met his partner, and I also met Ben from Ben's Collectibles, another great Transformers channel. He was there with his wife, and along with Sophie, we ended up playing Cards Against Humanity till the wee hours uh, on Saturday night, and that was a really, really good night. So really appreciated meeting all you people, and everybody else I bumped into. It was really good to see you all, and honestly, if you love Transformers, check out TF Nation. It's coming back on, uh, I think it's August the 18th, 2019. Put it in your diaries, come down. It's a really, really great event. <sighs> and so, I think that probably covers it. We have talked for, yeah, a little bit longer than normal, but I think I've managed to sort of cram it all in. Sorry for being away for so long. It has been a bit of a habit. I'm going to try and break it and get back to you more often, come back next week. But in the meantime, whatever your fandom, whatever you enjoy, keep enjoying it. We'll see you again soon. All your comments and all your tweets are always appreciated, so uh, look forward to seeing those. And it's been uh, it's been fun, and we'll come back to it very soon. And look out for more content on Anime Independent over the next few weeks. Bye bye.
Oh, what's that? Where can I find this wonderful free entertainment? Well, you can find the website at animeindependent.net. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Anime Independent or even on the Twitters at Anime Indie. That's I-N-D-Y. See you online, folks. Thank you.